There we go. Sorry, that was me. Okay. <laughs> Probably had that baby crankly up there, huh? All righty. Okay, so we're going to go in a, let me back up. So we're in chapter one, we had the gospel. We talked about that. That's very essential. God has a solution for man's uh, sinfulness and his separation from God, separated because of our sinfulness. He had a solution. Of course, that was Jesus Christ who came, who died, was buried. And remember, he came back to life. The resurrection is very essential. That expresses the power uh, of God as well as authenticates his promise, his word, and also offers us forgiveness. So we talked about the gospel and the resurrection. Uh, then, in, then we moved on to the, the second uh, a message, and the message was talking about why we need the gospel, why we need good news, why God needed to bring a program or bring a remedy or a solution to our sinfulness. And then as we worked through chapter 2, we talked about how man is without excuse, and we talked about how God gave them over and how they pursued uh, all kinds of disgusting things. We talked about that. So we, it was very clear why we need a gospel message. Okay, we need a Savior. Well, now that brings us here to chapter 2, the verses that we just read. And there are people, after hearing all those things, yeah, they're glad that there's a gospel. And they understand that man is wicked. And those people who do do these atrocious things, yeah, they need the Savior. Well, now we come to chapter 2, and we come to those who are kind of pious, okay? Those individuals who are moralist is what we call them. They think they're pretty good, okay? And then they think, well, this whole idea of God's uh, gospel and his judgment and stuff applies to them, those people, okay? I don't do what those people do, so, it doesn't, so I'm exempt is the way these people talk and think. And that's who we're talking about today, okay, here in chapter 2. Well, a moralist, we have a definition of a moralist. Take a look here. A moralist is someone who has strong ideas about right and wrong behavior and who tries to make other people behave according to these ideas. So let me just say this right up front. Each and every one of you is a moralist, okay? We're all on the same page here. We're all moralists. Now, that's not necessarily bad. Being a moralist is not necessarily bad. And, of course, we want to do what is right uh, according to God's standards, correct? That's who we want to be. We want to be followers of Jesus Christ. But where we fall into problems here, and here's where we become guilty, is uh, we, want people, we uh, want people to behave according to our ideas. Okay, you see that there? Are you with me now? Okay. Now, moralists, it's good. There are some things that we need to follow, we need to promote and speak out about, but where we venture off the path and become guilty and become uh, naughty, so to speak, is that we want people to conform and follow our ideas of morality. Okay, our ideas. So that's where we're at today. And we're talking about the moralists. So, anyhow, let's talk about the moralists more in detail. There's a lot of things that we can glean from chapter 2 here in Romans. And if you have your bulletin, just follow along and you can fill in that blank. But there are about uh, five things that I want to share regarding the moralist. So, let's talk about the moralist. This individual who's pretty pious, feels he's doing pretty good, you know, and that God is going to smile on him and on his behavior. Well... Is that going to be the case? Well, here's what we learn about this, the moralist. Now, the moralist, 
Uh, they are uh, standard setters. That's number one. They are the standard setters. Uh, the moralists, they set standards. They have determined, a moralist has determined what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Okay? They gauge, uh, they measure things, you know, according, here's what the problem is. They gauge and measure things according to their standard. So, now, on the one hand, it's okay to be a moralist if it's God's word that is dictating and directing us in our choices and our behaviors. That is good. But where we become, uh, where we step over the line is when we uh, allow what we feel to be right and wrong become the gauge by which we measure one another. And that's not good. So they are standard setters. A moralist, a moralist sets standards. Number two. Uh, they see themselves as rule followers. Now, these moralists, they are rule followers. followers. Uh, a moralist has difficulty seeing themselves as sinners. Okay? Now, a moralist, they find themselves, it's difficult for them to see themselves as a sinner. And here's why. Because they are good rule followers. They follow the rules. And because they follow the rules and are obedient, they think that their standing before God, as well as other people, is pretty good, you know? And they, they're quick to point their fingers and say, hey, you know, at least I'm not like so-and-so, because they are following their standard. They are a rule follower. And, uh, they, and therefore, uh, it's interesting, you notice here in verse 3, it explains that although they are rule followers, uh, they're not exactly good. Because for the very things that they judge others for, they themselves practice. Okay? So we got a little hypocrisy involved in this moralist idea and lifestyle. Moralist. Uh, I want to show to you here, uh, this gentleman here, uh, Jimmy Schwagert. You've probably seen him. Some of you maybe not even know who he is, but he's a, a TV evangelist. Back in the 80s, you know, he was very popular. But he, uh, he called out somebody for moral failure. And, uh, of course, that was uh, to have moral failure was not good because especially if you are a, a TV evangelist and you're getting all your money from the people, from the audience out there that is watching you, and, you're a mor and you fail mor morally, well, uh, that's not good. Well, anyhow, Jimmy Swaggart, he blew the whistle on a gentleman, and, uh, and this gentleman who received, uh, you know, this accusation, he thought, well, okay, I'll fight back too. So he fought back. And we found out here, this gentleman here, Jimmy Swigert, who was condemning this other man for his moral failures, uh, this man hired a, a uh, private eye, I guess, or whatever, and followed him and found out that old Jimmy here himself was uh, messing around too morally. And so he was uh, failing. So what we have here, what I'm just sharing with you this morning, is that, uh, you know, moralists, they'll set the standard, and the standards is pretty much their standards, and they are rule followers. But, uh, but even though they have these rules that they follow, they, they break the rules, okay? And that leads us to number three here. They see themselves as an exception to the rule. That's a moralist. They are an exception to the rule. Uh, moralists make allowances. Yes, they have some standards. There's some things that they won't do. But if they can fudge on this standard to benefit themselves, they will. Okay, they will. Uh, they are quick to condemn lying and gossip, all right? But 
they're, they're not above or not, uh, don't think it's bad to maybe twist the truth. They're not into lying, but uh, well, they'll twist the truth a little bit just to benefit themselves. And, uh, or if it's gossip, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll engage in gossip because, hey, the facts need to get out there, okay? That's what they tell themselves. So anyhow, uh, they, they see themselves as the exception to the rule. Well, verse 8 gives us some insight as to why they feel they are the exception to the rule. Uh, look at verse 8. The verse reads, But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So the word I want you to focus on there that we're highlighting is that whole idea of self-seeking. See that there? Yes, they're rule followers, but they're not, a, they're not uh, above you know, bending the rule because it benefits them, all right? So uh, there's an exception to the rule. Now, moving on here to number four, they see God as a cosmic teddy bear. Look at verse four. Uh, the Apostle Paul who writes says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? So here, here's how the moralists would talk about verse, verse 4 there. Uh, here's the gist from a moralist. They would say, God is so loving, compassionate, and kind, he wouldn't do anything that would stifle my joy or bring harm. He's a good father. Okay. So here's the moralist. They just focus on you know God, you know the blanket, the, the comfort, uh, the, the love, the compassion. That's who God is. And so, even though I mess up, and yes, maybe I stretch the truth or I adjust the standards, you know, to benefit myself, yeah, maybe I do those things. But, hey, God, he's like my blanket. He is soft. He's cuddly. He, he wraps himself around me and says, hey, everything's going to be okay. It's all right. You messed up. Hey, hey, it's okay. When we realize, when we forget Hey, God's also a ruler, okay? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But anyhow, they see him as a teddy bear. That's the moralist. And therefore, since God is a teddy bear, you know, they can pretty much get away from anything they want to. And then here, the final thing is, they're consumed with pride. The moralist is consumed with pride. But because of, our, of your stubbornness, verse 5 says, and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So it says there at the beginning of verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. What is that? That's pride. Okay, that's pride. Because of the moralist standard, the standard that they have created, and which they fudge on when it benefits them, uh, because of that, they are very prideful. Okay? Look at me. I don't do these things. Okay? They'll say, that's the moralist. And oftentimes, the moralist is very legalistic. And because of that legalism, there's pride in their life. And uh, so that is the moralist. And that's important because all of us need God. But there are those groups of people, and I think that's what Paul was anticipating. There are those people, you know, they'll say, hey, at least I'm not like so-and-so, okay? I'm not engaged in unnatural relationships with other people, you know, based on chapter 1, Okay. Oh, at least I'm not evil and wicked like so-and-so. You know, they, they justify themselves to look pretty good. And they're trying to justify themselves in God's eyes so that they look pretty good. But here we're seeing, hey, God says, you know what? You're a standard establisher, okay? You break your own standards. 
uh, so they benefit you, okay? You think you're the exception to the rule, God says, and you, you make me out to be a teddy bear when I am more than a teddy bear God, and, uh, you know, and, and you're a very prideful individual. Sounds like that individual needs God, doesn't it? When the answer is yes, they need God. And so Paul is addressing that particular kind of person. So here's what God has to say. Okay, so that's the moralist. What does God have to say? God's case. Well, number one, God says that uh, no one is without sin. We know this, right? Take a look at Romans chapter 2 there, verse 1. Uh, he says there, uh, the Lord says, uh, you have no excuse. Okay, you have no excuse. And if we jump to chapter 3, uh, verse 10, it says, there is no one who is righteous. And then in verse 12 of chapter 3, there is no one who does good, not even one. So, the moralist, feeling pretty good about himself, you know, Paul sets him straight. He says, here's how God sees you. You are a sinner. Yeah, you may not be doing certain things, but you're still a sinner, okay? So, no one is without sin. B, let's go on to B here, the second thing. There is a standard of right and wrong, and that's in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth okay see that there is a standard there is a standard of right and wrong but it's God who establishes the standard it is God um, who is you know the standard God is the standard his word is the standard so he says yes there is a right and wrong uh, thirdly God is a God of justice verses 5 and 6 because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. All right? So God is a just God, which let's roll right into the next one there, uh, the fifth one there. God will bring judgment. Those two, justice and judgment, kind of go together. Uh, let's take a look at this in verse 8. Verse 8 says, for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Uh, look at verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge man's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So here God is saying, okay, you moralist, you camp on the fact that I am a good God, that I am compassionate, that I am faithful, that I am loving. That's where you camp. But he wants the moralist to understand, I am also a God who is just, and judgment is going to follow. Okay, So that is the God, and that's a more proper perspective of who God is. And the moralist is probably going to say, whoa, really? Okay, I don't like that. In fact, that's why we always camp on the goodness, because we don't like the other side of the card, basically. But God is a just God, and judgment will come. All right, he is not just a teddy bear. And then lastly, or not lastly, but God does not show favoritism, we are told, in verse 11, just with straightforward words. In verse 11, he says, God does not show favoritism. See, the moralist thinks, well, because they are pretty righteous, you know, we'll put that in quotations. They perceive themselves as righteous. There's, you know, at least I don't do what Joe does, okay? Or I don't do, 
the things that that group of people does, and therefore they think they're pretty good, and they're thinking, well, God, God thinks I'm pretty good too. And uh, what they find out is that uh, God does not show favoritism, okay? doesn't show favoritism. So they think God will treat them differently because they don't do things. But there's going to be a lot of good people in hell, okay? There's going to be a lot of good people in hell because they did not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And then that brings us to the last one, God knows all. That's in verse 16. Uh, verse 16, God will judge man, men's secrets. God will judge our secrets. God, God will judge your secrets. Yikes. You know, for me, I, I was kind of hoping that maybe God had a short-term memory, you know. And some of the things that I've done will be gone. He won't remember those. But I'm not looking forward to that conversation. Because he knows the secrets. He knows the secrets. So that's what we have here in chapter 2. Okay, We have in chapter 1 the gospel given. And further on in, God, in chapter 1, we have the reason why we need the gospel, because man has turned and done his own thing, and God has stepped back and said, okay, you want to do your own thing? And uh, so that is why we need the gospel. And then we come to chapter 2, we have the righteous, self-righteous, the pious, the moralist, who thinks they are above the law, who, uh, yeah, they do pretty good things, and they have a pretty good-looking life from the outside, but inside, they are rotten to the core. Everybody's rotten to the core. And so... Paul is addressing that moralist and saying, hey, you may think you're pretty good, but here's what God thinks. You're a sinner, okay? I know your secrets. You're not going to get away with this, all right? I'm going to be just, and judgment's coming. And that should shake the moralist up. That should shake him up. So what are we to do with this uh, particular message this morning, uh, chapter 2, that information? Uh, number one, here's, here's what we do as we apply God's word. Number one, we need to be aware of the, our own moralist tendencies. Okay? We need to be aware of that. Okay? I want to encourage you to live according to right and wrong based on God's holy word. That's good. That's where we all need to focus and we need to strive to be those types of people. But where we need to be careful is, okay, is this God's standard or is this my personal standard? Do I have a right to judge this individual based on my standards? Just because I don't do those things, do I have a right to judge somebody else? So that's where we need to kind of wrestle, need to find out, okay, is this just my standard? If so, let's acknowledge that, and let's get back to God's standard. So that's where we're all at. Remember, we're all moralists. And since we are all moralists, we're going to, at times, emphasize and pour, put more uh, emphasis on, you know, what we think is good, what we think is bad, and so forth. So beware of that. Uh, number two, here's what uh, this morning's message should do for us. It should uh, hopefully help us establish more of a, a healthy fear of God, okay, now, when we talk about fear, we're not talking about, yeah, screaming and scared. We're talking about, you know, a deeper respect of who God is. You know, God is not just a teddy bear. And I don't even like to call that God a teddy bear. But it is true that God sure does love us. 
He wants the best for us, and he's, he wants to offer forgiveness and be in relationship with us. You know, he wants to embrace us. I mean, that is who God is. But do not forget that God is also carrying the ruler, the standard. Okay? And, uh, and if we don't follow and measure up to the standard, we're going to have to give an accounting. We're going to have to give an account. He's going to pull us aside and say, you know, you know that secret? Uh, what was going on? And then we're going to have to explain it. Hopefully not. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's a conversation I do not want. And I'm guessing you don't want it either. But, but the good thing is about forgiveness. What does God say about forgiveness? He takes our sins and he, throw, and he, he separates them as far as what? East is from the west. That's right. So we can clean that all up, can't we? So a healthy fear of God, that's what we need to establish because um, sometimes he just drops the hammer. That's the only reason we're going to, only way we're going to listen. He does drop the hammer some, to some degree. And then lastly, well, the gift of salvation is available to everyone. Okay. E- even for those who are feeling pretty good uh, about what they do not do and what they do do, uh, the moralist, the moralist needs Jesus too, needs God. And that gift of salvation where we accept Christ what he has done on the cross, make that decision to place our faith and trust in what he has done. That is for all of us. It's for the moralist. It's for the one who is totally rotten to the core. I mean, it's for all of us. And we can enter into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, and we can enjoy the forgiveness and, uh, and all that he offers us. So anyhow, there's, that's the third one. The gift of salvation is available to everyone. So that brings us to the end of the third message in our series of messages on Romans. And it's talking about the moralist. We all are moralists. Let's uh, be honest and be, uh, be aware of when we make our standards the judging standard. And that's not good. Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for the opportunity to be challenged in our thinking. Lord, we need to be challenged because, uh, one, we do want to be a moralist in the sense that we... We want to have that uh, standard of right and wrong because uh, we want it based on you and your word. And, uh, Lord, I know you are very pleased with that. But, uh, Lord, sometimes we take and we add things to that standard, to that list of do's and don'ts. And, Lord, help us to be honest and say, is this of God? And, uh, and if not, may we put it aside and focus on what is of you. So help us, Father as we strive to be more like you. And we pray all this in Christ's name.